0: And if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 4, John chapter 4 in the New Testament. I'm going to put the verses up on slides as well, but as I said, it would be good for you to turn to um, the passage, of which is John chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 1. I'll just read the first uh, four verses. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So I just want to give an a, a introduction to the, the chapter here. We start this chapter with Jesus. He'd been spending time in Judea. And there was some noise going on with the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees were the religious people of the of the day. Were very strict in their thinking and also a bit like busybodies. Do you know that term, busybody? A wee bit like getting, getting their nose into things that that really they had no place in doing and saying things that were causing just trouble and nonsense. And actually in this this scenario here, Jesus decided that it was in the plan of God to move away uh, from this area of Judea and move north up to Galilee. Judea um, was down in the area, he was in the area uh, around Jerusalem and he was to travel quite some distance north up to Galilee. Now, the journey would have taken about three days. In these days, you, you were out on a journey, and you were out for days. We had this area down here in, in Judea, where Jesus was, or in Jerusalem there. And it was to travel all the way up here to Galilee. And that's that's three days' journey. Now, it's about 40 miles to Samaria, which is where we're, we're looking at right now. And an interesting thing is, and uh, some of the commentators in the passage mention this, that there was two routes you could have went... Um, up to Galilee, you could have went along over Jordan, up through Perea, avoiding Samaria, and you could have made made the way all the way up to Galilee. And there was actually another route that was quicker and it went straight the way through. One thing to remember, and it's very important to this passage, is there was a real problem between the Jews and the the Samaritans, the people of Samaria. They frankly hated each other. Do we ever see that in the world today? You ever heard that? We don't need to look very far in the news. Some of it's quite close to home at times, isn't it? Hatred between two particular groups. It's never a good thing. And it got so bad that actually many people, uh, many of the Jews would have decided to go that long route. Round the edge of Samaria to avoid the the people totally. Not all of them, but some of them would have avoided it. So it's interesting in the context of this story that our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ moved right the way through. Didn't show any prejudice at all set off through Samaria. Now he arrived at a town called Sychar and he would have been travelling around 40 miles already and would have been extremely tired. We're talking about extreme temperatures here. Who's, those amongst us that have been to Israel, hot, very. Supplies would have been limited. Um, the equipment they would have had travelling, the, the even their clothes etc. would have made that journey not an easy one. So you're talking about 40 40 miles already. About a day and a half's journey, Jesus and his disciples would have made. So Jesus arrived at this Samaritan town called Sychar. And we're told in verse 5 that the place that he had arrived at had a special significance. It says there it was near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now that's a... A record that was was in Genesis chapter 33 verse 19, if you want to look up later. This was the area, the land that um, Jacob had given as an inheritance to Joseph. It's also the area that when Joseph, um, bones were laid to rest in that area after the Israelites came out of Egypt. So it's interesting that right in the middle of this land, this is the particular place that uh, Jesus stopped. Also we're told in verse 6 that Jacob's well was there. Now the well itself wasn't really mentioned in the Old Testament there's not a specific mention of it but we know that Jacob owned that land that's recorded in scriptures and it would be a common thing to do to dig a well get to the supply of water because water of course is a life supply isn't it and and uh, you often you often read in those those times how important it was for them to get a well get a well get a fresh supply of water so it's totally sensible and, and right that Jacob would have commissioned a well in that area. Now Jesus was really tired from his travels. This is a, an interesting point because our Lord Jesus is fully God but also fully man. Now that's a mystery isn't it? Fully God but also fully man. So God himself, the scriptures tells us, he came in the flesh. So God himself stepped down, became a man. He wasn't any less God than, than he was before he stepped down. He was still the same fullness of God but he expressed himself in a body like yours and mine. And our bodies experience tiredness, don't they? That's something that before Jesus was in the flesh would have been something that he wouldn't have experienced because God's strength never fails. It says in the scriptures that God never grows weary. But it's interesting that Jesus can relate to us because he has came as a man, fully God and fully man. So he experienced what it was to be tired and he sat down by the well, probably the very place we would have went to (laughs) if we were in that situation, right by the well. It was about noon in the hot part of the day. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water Jesus said to her will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Now we read here that a Samaritan woman had came to draw water from that well. Again not a particularly unusual thing to happen. People would regularly come and, and draw water from the well. What was unusual about this was Jesus' interaction with the women. Because in that culture, men generally were not encouraged to speak to women that they didn't know publicly. It was just not the done thing. It was sometimes frowned upon. Not that there was anything wrong with speaking to people in public, but it just they just generally didn't encourage men speaking to women publicly. It was a cultural thing at the time. It's important to realise that. But also, more than that, Jews just didn't speak to Samaritans. And Samaritans just didn't speak to Jews. They did not get on at all. If you can think of a, a situation in our world today where you just know two parties that just don't mix, it was exactly like that. So I just want you to see here that Jesus breaks through social and cultural barriers. You see that? He breaks through social and cultural barriers. Didn't pay any attention to the lines that some people were drawing. You can't talk to that person. You can't go over to that person. You can't associate with that person. No, not Jesus. Jesus was not prejudiced. He showed compassion to everybody that he met. Didn't he? You read that all the way through the scriptures. Jesus always was approachable. Always demonstrated compassion. What does that word compassion say to you? You often read that about Jesus. It means he cared. It means when you approach Jesus, you could see in his eyes, Eyes that he loved you, you could actually see God's Spirit shining, and that love and that compassion would be very evident to anybody that would have seen him. Now, if we think about the natural side of things for a minute, water—it gives us life, it gives life to our natural bodies, and when we drink of it, and we can't go too long without water. Now, some of us drink all the odd fizzy juice that isn't good for us, etc. But at the base of it, we're still drinking water. We're still keeping going. None of us are going without liquids. And our body, in order to be healthy, requires regular. Of water. But Jesus, interestingly, although he was thirsty himself and he'd asked the lady for a drink, because he cared about the woman, he didn't just stick with the natural side of things. He moved on to a more important matter. Jesus draws the woman's attention to a spiritual matter. And he draws attention to himself. Verse 10. Jesus Jesus answered her. Verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's quite a statement isn't it? Turns the whole thing around. One minute we're talking about water pulling water from a well. And the next minute, Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. But we could probably... Uh, understand why the women wouldn't wouldn't really get this statement, yeah? So she struggles really hard to understand what, what's what been said. And she, she immediately goes back to the water situation, the natural side of things. She says, verse 11, Sir, you've got nothing to draw the, with, and the well's deep. Where can you get this living water? She's so thinking, you're telling me you're going to give me living water, but I'm the one that's got the container. <laughs> I'm the one that's got the facilities here. You're, you've got nothing. So what do you mean? It doesn't make any sense. What are you going to draw water for? You don't have anything. The well is very deep. I'd imagine if we were in the the women's shoes at this stage, we'd be thinking, who is this man? And an interesting thing in this passage is you can see the lady moving through different sections where she's starting to get an impression of this is not an ordinary man I'm speaking to. And just notice as you go along how, how this actually happens. It's really interesting. Um, she's, for a start, she said in verse 12, she, compare, she starts comparing this man Jesus to Jacob. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as he also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jacob was a natural father to the people, yeah? Was a spiritual like a spiritual father to them. A man whom God used to set up this well, to set up this provision for the people. And they were blessed by it, weren't they? You know, godly people cause a blessing for future generations, don't they? People who follow God's uh, desires do that. And Jacob was one of those men. And the benefits of him being obedient to God were still being felt. They were still benefiting from this well that that Jacob had supplied to the people there. And she's saying, are you saying that you're better than him? Are you going to provide more than this man's provided? Because we drink each day with the provision. That this man Jacob's given. But Jesus again moves away from the natural provision of water and moves, moves back to the spiritual side. And he said, you know, if you drink this natural water, you're going to keep being thirsty again. Natural water only brings life for a short time. We all need to drink it regularly in order to survive. But Jesus is speaking about something deeper, and more important. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. He's talking about spiritual life, isn't he? He's talking about spiritual life. He says, this water will become within you a spring Of water welling up to eternal life there's a if we think about the well scenario it's like a well within you he's talking about not having to go to a natural well to find a supply he's saying there will be a well of supply in you isn't that amazing? A spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's speaking about he's speaking about a lot of things there and people we'll, <laughs> we'll think about it. But that's life with God forever, really is what he's talking about. Life with God, fellowship with God forever is what he's referring to there when he speaks about that eternal life. And who here wouldn't want to be with God's presence forever? To know his strength forever, to know him with us forever. That's what Jesus is referring to here. An everlasting life, an eternal life. The living water mentioned makes us think about a few things. If we were to turn to the previous chapter in John 3, Jesus was speaking to a man called Nicodemus. And he spoke to Nicodemus. He says, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus struggled to understand this concept. What do you mean? I'm a man. You're telling me I need to be born again. But Jesus says, no, you're not thinking the way I'm, I'm meaning. Because he was thinking naturally, as if he was to go back to being a baby again. But, God w- but Jesus was saying to him, you need to be spiritually reborn. And what did Jesus say? There's a new birth of water and spirit. So, what Jesus is say, saying there, even to Nicodemus, is that when you trust in me as your Saviour, you'll experience this living water. This new life from within you. Now we're thinking, keep, keep thinking about this in Old Testament scriptures. There are lots of references to living water in Jeremiah 2 verse 13. It says this. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me. They have forsaken me the spring of living water. Now that's God speaking. They have forsaken me he says. The spring of living water and have dug their own cisterns dug their own wells broken cisterns that cannot hold water so God himself God himself is a fountain of living water Ezekiel 36 25-27 says I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So these are the Old Testament scriptures where God's prophets were looking forward to a day coming when the Saviour was going to come. And make all of this a reality. Make all of this a reality. You see, clean water, what does that signify? Well, first of all, water is a symbol. I'm not going to pour this out, but if I was to think about some... You know, if you were dirty, your hands were dirty, you could pour that water on, wrap your hands together, grab a towel and be clean. We use water to clean things. We use water to take the dirt, take the stains away, don't we? And the scriptures are telling us there that this living water from God himself will wash your sins away if you receive him. Isn't that good? Washed away, gone. And then there's a promise in there about God giving us a new heart and a new spirit within us. This spirit is God the Holy Spirit. And the Old Testament prophecies here are pointing towards the day when God the Holy Spirit would be poured out and available to those who would trust in Jesus. And the difference would be that now the Holy Spirit of God would live in us. In us. In the Old Testament time, the Holy Spirit would come on people at certain points in time. It would talk about people being anointed and filled for specific tasks and purposes. But there wasn't that resting of God's supply welling within, the spirit within. But it was promised in the Old Testament that there will come a day, there will come a day when God will open up the way for that supply to be within us. And importantly, that spirit of God moves us to follow God's ways. The scriptures say the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. It's one of the, the main things about God's Spirit. So we're thinking about li- living water. Later on in John chapter 7, you don't need to turn to it, but later on in John chapter 7 and 37, Jesus says this, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. <coughs> Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit from whom... Those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. You see, Jesus was here to live a perfect life, to be God come in the flesh. Why? Because we need a saviour. We need somebody to clean, wash away our sins. And the penalty of sin is death. The Bible teaches us the wages of sin is death. So do you know what God did? He stepped down himself and he lived a perfect life and he went across at Calvary. And he died, not just a physical death, but he died a spiritual, taking on spiritual, the spiritual penalty for your sins and mine. Isn't that incredible? And then not only that, because we, we don't serve a dead saviour who stayed in the grave. Because there'd be no power in that at all. Three days later, Jesus did rise again from the dead. And do you know what that signified? <laughs> That the penalty of sins has been paid once forever. And it also signifies that we too can experience that life, that resurrection life, that new life through our living saviour. We can't receive life from a dead saviour, can we? Yet the majority of people who would say they're religious or who are following certain practices would be serving dead saviours. Dead practices. Dead idols. Whatever that may be. I might say, well, I get my life from my work. Yeah, but we can't take our work with us when we die. Well, you could say, well, I get my life from What's the different things that I get enjoyment from. Again, our, our life is, is, is finite. And Without being too depressing about it, we can't take any of these things with us, can we? There was a testimony I read just in studying for this passage of a, of a chap that said, I'm wealthy enough to be in the top tax bracket of the UK. I'm noticed in the street. That's what fame and fortune does. But he became a Christian and he says, I can tell you right now. That nothing I've experienced up to now has satisfied anywhere near, not even close to the wells of living water I'm experiencing now with God in my life. Not even close. There's nothing in this world, is there, that can compare to that? God himself living within you. The Samaritan woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now this is a very important uh, moment in the story because the Samaritan woman here, She stopped asking some questions for a moment and asked Jesus to give her the water. And although she she maybe didn't fully understand all that Jesus was saying or the depth of it, and she's still thinking naturally about the water situation, but she seems now to be progressing, see how I was saying, you know, she's progressing. She's asked a few questions. She's now seeing this man knows something that's valuable. There's something in this. She believes that Jesus is telling the truth. And she asks him for the water. But Jesus, interestingly, after getting to the moment where she says, Jesus, I want this water. Interestingly, the story takes a wee twist. Not maybe what you would expect. And Jesus says... Go call your husband and come back. And the lady said, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So why why do we think Jesus questioned about her husband well firstly jesus was showing who he was because he knew everything about the the lady there even though he'd only naturally just met her five minutes (laughs) now who is it that could possibly know all about us without ever having met us before who else than god could possibly know about us except god but also there was a second thing so firstly it was who he was that he knew everything about her but secondly he was pointing out sin He was pointing out there were some things to be dealt with in our life. You know, we said earlier on that it's because of our sins that our saviour had to come. That's why he had to die. To make a way to restore us to a right relationship with God. So he pointed out there's something in your life that's not right. The Bible says we've all sinned and we all need a saviour. But first, we need to individually realise that we need a saviour. Maybe this would be the first time that the lady had even thought about it. Maybe she just got on and culturally, maybe that was okay what she did. But Jesus highlighted this thing in the he pointed it out to make her think about it. Have we come to the point individually where we, we really realise we need a saviour? We, re, we really realise that there are things in our lives, that, in all of our lives, that need forgiveness. It's an important step, isn't it? Because we could say, I believe in Jesus. We could say, I trust that everything Graham's saying today is absolutely true. But we might never ever say, I've sinned and I need a saviour. We might not respond. And it was I would suggest to you that you know Jesus is saying there... She asked the question, give me the living water. And Jesus says, there's something you need to acknowledge. You need to acknowledge you need a saviour. You need to acknowledge you have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. Now, you notice as well that Jesus doesn't condemn in the way that he says things, doesn't he not? That's another really interesting thing about Jesus. If we are to follow his example, one thing we're not to do is to come with a pointy finger. He doesn't seem to do that. He highlights things gently as possible, but he still doesn't brush things under the carpet and kid on they're not there. And when we're speaking to people as Christians, we need to remember that, don't we? That while there might be some things that we don't approve of, etc. We say things in love. We point out we all need a saviour. There are things we've all done that we need to ask for forgiveness from. And the woman may have been trying to hide some of these things, but here's someone who she could hide nothing from. And neither can we. We can't hide away and kid on that God doesn't know about anything that's happening. He does know everything because he knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. So the woman must still have been thinking, well, who is this man? She's she's now thinking, "This this is someone really special because he knows everything about me. And she says in verse 19, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. So she's elevated him now to prophet status, at least. She's saying, you know, you're somebody, a prophet was somebody who heard directly from God and who spoke God's word to the people. So she's now saying, you're somebody that's hearing directly from God, because there's no other way that you could know all about me unless God had told you that. So that was good. She's now progressing. She's, she's now really seeing how special Jesus is. But, we've, but did you notice how she tried to dodge the point? <laughs> she tried to dodge the point and change the subject. In verse 20, she didn't respond, really, to Jesus talking about their situation. She said, our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we wor- wor- worship is in Jerusalem. So, just before we move on from this, and this is said with love and compassion today don't move on too quick if god's pointing something out and maybe it would be the first time we would come and ask jesus to forgive us that's a really important decision to make we all need to make that decision and don't just rush away and just think that we can we can just go into other spiritual subjects because the only way we can get that starting relationship with god is by acknowledging our sin so just challenge us to think about that when we go home Need to be honest with God. So, although the woman is trying to sort of move away from the personal challenge that Jesus is making, she still answers, uh, Jesus still answers the point because the point was relevant. He says in verse 21 Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now Jesus is giving some teaching there. There's quite a lot in that. It seems simple, but there's a lot of depth in that. He's teaching about worship as it stood at that point in time, and he's also talking about the new the new freedom that's going to be available in worship when this Holy Spirit comes. Now the Samaritans they only believed part of the part of the Bible. That happens today, doesn't it? There are organisations and people who will say, well, I believe that wee part, but not the rest. So the Samaritans were some that they believed just a a bit of the Old Testament scriptures. So they didn't see that God had uh, asked the people to build the temple in Jerusalem. Instead, they worshipped on a mountain nearby to where they were sitting at that time. Mountain Gerizim. But just one thing to mention here for, for us here. Is that the Jews are a special people in God's eye. They are the people through history. That God chose to speak to. To give his word to. And his word wasn't limited to the Jews. Praise the Lord. That it's been opened up. Opened up. It always was opened up. There always was a way. In the temple system. In the Old Testament. For people to come to faith. But there is a special place. In, in God's heart for the Jewish people. Now that doesn't mean that all Jewish People. Trust in Je- have trusted in Jesus because they haven't, but that is where the, this message has been birthed. And the temple in Jerusalem was there for a period of time. But now Jesus said in verse twenty one, "Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth." An important point here: Jesus' death, resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit changed everything in the whole worship system. Changed absolutely everything. The Old Testament was a preview of the greater things that was was going to come. Jesus himself came and was the final once and for all sacrifice that replaced the need for this temple system of the Old Testament. Jesus himself was the Passover lamb, once and for all time. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, the temple curtain was torn in two? Symbolic of the fact that that system was no longer required. There was now a new way to worship God and to come into his presence. And what does Jesus say? We're to worship the Father in spirit and in truth, because God is spirit. So we mentioned before that following Jesus' resurrection, he, he talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit did come. And worship today isn't contained to a building. There aren't. Necessarily special places where we must be to worship God. And I praise the Lord for that because it gives us such a, a freedom, doesn't it? We can be worshiping God anywhere. Here we are in this building here on a, on a street front, praising the Lord. Now, why does the place not matter anymore? Because we we read that God's Spirit is within us. Therefore, our relationship with God is continual. Therefore, we can worship God anywhere. I can be in the car, be praising the Lord there, and having the same experiences I would have here with us all here together. See that, yeah? The freedom that's there in that. But also, as well as worshipping in the Spirit, we also need to worship in truth. It's an interesting combination, but it's really important because we can be worshipping something that isn't true. We can be worshipping a lie. True worship is only found through Jesus Christ. You know, we can be worshipping... As I was saying before, you know, there are other uh, faiths and religions who, frankly, the the person that they're worshipping is dead. Therefore, the whole message is dead. That's really important that when we're worshipping, we're actually worshipping in truth. The woman said, verse 25, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. What a moment that is. The conversation's been building. And then suddenly she thinks, this man's more than... More than a prophet, she starts thinking about the Messiah because the type of words Jesus is talking about is talking about, she would have had a knowledge that there is one coming. It's prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures that she would have known that the Saviour's coming and he's going to do these things. And Jesus said, the one that's speaking to you now, I am he. What a moment. What a privilege, eh? She met the Saviour of the world that day. Before the women had a chance to say anything or do anything the disciples came back from getting their food down at the town. Verse 27. Just at that the disciples returned and were surprised to find Jesus talking with a woman but no one asks what do you want or why are you talking with her then leaving her water jar the woman went back to the town and said to the people come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So you see there again the disciples were, were surprised to see Jesus in this situation because of the things I mentioned earlier on, the cultural and social b- barriers that were there. But they don't question Jesus. I would suggest they started to learn by this point that Jesus is go- God and he knows what he's doing. And the woman moves quickly. I quite find it quite funny that she left her water jar there so neither Jesus or the women as far as we know have, have had a drink of water yet um, but neither of them have actually had a drink, it's quite comical when you think about it but now the situations you know, the women's came to such a realisation that this Jesus that's speaking to her is the Messiah or could be the Messiah That she's running away and she's left her container there and she's not had a drink. Where does she go? She goes back to her hometown. She went straight back home and told the people that she knew about Jesus. Said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? You know, I would suggest to you that she realised that only God could know this. And this really was a special person. And the only only person she could relate that to be is the Messiah, the Saviour promised about. So, a couple of practical Things to take out of the, this example of the woman. When we find out this truth, when we receive this truth about Jesus into our life, what do we do with it? I've suggested sometimes what we do with it is that we keep that well to ourselves. We keep it to ourselves sometimes too much. Whereas what the woman did was she immediately just went and started telling everybody that she cared about, about Jesus because she wanted them to come and share the same experience. What do we say to our friends and family? It's sometimes not that easy to do that, but we're best just to share our experience, aren't we? Jesus has saved me. He's forgiven my sins and He's changed my life. It's as simple as that. And you know what? People will see that in you because that living water of God's Spirit shines out your eyes. It affects you as an individual. It changes the way you behave. Yeah? Who's seen that? Somebody totally changed when they've trusted Jesus. Yeah? I've seen it. You know, I, I, I became a Christian when I was really young, so I can't really remember what it was like before then. But I know I was a sinner, <laughs> needed <Neither> a saviour. <laughs> but you, I've met people who before and after they give their hearts to Christ there's just a light appears in them it's the light of the world it's Jesus it's his spirit within us and you'll know when you've experienced that if you haven't then this will make no sense to you at all it'll make absolutely no sense but I can just tell you it's real and if you haven't experienced come and speak to me or speak to somebody that you know as a Christian and ask them how to how to, tr- how to receive Jesus, because we need to receive him and experience that. We can also learn from Jesus' example. You know, as Christians, we're called to go into the world and to preach the gospel, to tell the good news about Jesus. But notice how Jesus do- does things. That's really, really important, how he, how he does things. First of all, he didn't show prejudice to someone because of their social status, their background even though he knew all about it. That's a challenge, isn't it? When we're in a society that does judge people a lot and labels people and boxes people. So just a wee encouragement uh, to, to us all not to do that. Jesus didn't do that. And when people come in out of the coffee house or come out in a working situation we're not to prejudge the situation we're to show compassion and love. Yes we're to tell them about Jesus but we're to do it in a way that isn't undermining the person or putting the person down. Jesus didn't look down on people. Also he talked in a way someone could understand. He didn't pick up you know, the most complicated commentary on the Bible and open up to it and say some, I'm not going to think of a statement but just, just confuse her with lots of long words. He talked in a simple way and you saw in the situation she struggled to understand because she hadn't she hadn't ever experienced this new life of course so it wasn't new to her but did you notice how Jesus was patient and she asked some questions and Jesus answered the questions he also used the water illustration Jesus would often do that he would talk about something that folk can relate to it's important we do that as well you might be saying to yourself well I can't talk to somebody about Jesus because I'm not I've not been to Bible college and I don't know the Bible back to front but do you know what you don't need to what you do need to know is the Saviour and you do need to share that with others in a way that others can understand. And God's Spirit will help you to do that. So he talked in a way she could understand, ways she could relate to. He answered her questions. He was patient with her. He didn't brush over her sin. It's always important we do that as well. We can't just say it's easy you know, to come to, to the Lord. There is a the sin problem. We have to identify that to people in a loving way. Most importantly, he showed compassion. He showed that he really cared about the person he was talking to because he did. <laughs> and that, this is all about God's love. We were singing earlier on about God's love is like a circle that never ends. It's so important isn't it that when we're sharing about jesus we're sharing it in love in his love and that's that can that's very evident when it's happening so a couple of questions just as we close do you individually know the experience i've been talking about today of a cleansing from sin of a new life of god's spirit living within you do you know what that experience is i would just say to you if you haven't experienced that you can experience it and it's through faith in jesus christ who he is What he's done and receiving him. Ask him to forgive you your sins and ask him into your heart. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And and for, for those of us that have taken that step before, let's remember that there is an everlasting supply of God's Spirit welling up within us. You know, and, and sometimes as uh, Christians, I do this and I'm sure you do, we rely too often on our own strength. We pick up the natural ability and the natural strength and we go at things and then we find that it doesn't work. And really the encouragement today is if we are struggling in any way as a Christian, we have to remember there's a, there's a vast supply of God's strength available and it's not over with somebody else it's not over some place you need to go it's here god's spirit is within you and god would just i think encourage us today to trust him to rely on his power to speak to him about our situation and he'll move in and he'll deal with the situation and give us strength I'd like to take some time just to pray (coughs) and pray for us today. Father God, we thank you for your word today. And Father, I do pray if there's anybody here that hasn't experienced that new life that comes from trusting in Jesus as a Lord and Saviour. I pray, Lord, that your word will, will speak clearly today and you will help each one understand it in Jesus' name. Father God, it is so important that we know that we're right with God. And I just pray that we would all know that experience today in Jesus' name. And Father, I just pray for brothers and sisters here today. Maybe we're, we're, we're just in a situation where we're not feeling strong and we're, we're struggling in, in a number of ways. And Father God, we just pray for the power of your spirit to move into our experience in Jesus' name. We pray, Father God, you'd forgive us for those times that we're not living in accordance with your word. And we pray you would forgive us and put us back on track, Lord, in Jesus' name. But we thank you for your compassion and for your love. Thank you that your love does, it never ends, and your compassion fails not. And I just pray, Lord, for that we would know what it is to, to, to experience more and more of your support supply and strength within us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.